Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Ag View Pitch. Shea Folk with Jared Creed here. Jared, you told me offline that you have the uh, local town celebration coming up here in the next couple days. How are things going with you and your family? Things are going good. Kids are growing like weeds. They need to slow down, to be honest with you, but they act like they're 18 years old. So I got my uh, hands full with these two little girls in the future. So yeah. you can ask me that question every month, and I don't know if that answer is going to change. You uh, you never caused any trouble when you were growing up, did you? <clears throat> no. In fact, my father-in-law tells me I haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> so I know who the kids take after. Lots to Lots to look forward to. Uh, we're we're recording here on Friday, July twenty first, uh, for the Sunday market outlook coming out this last week of July. Jared, I, I think you had a good point. What we probably need to do is unpack what's happened the last thirty days. Uh, there's been a lot of a lot of change. Maybe still some opportunities ahead, but I'd, I'd maybe have you recap that for a few minutes here. Yeah, so let's rewind just a little bit more than thirty days. Let's just go back forty five days ago. Um, 45 days ago, things were kind of starting to trend lower, trend lower, trend lower. And Mother Nature eventually kind of kicked in. We reversed gears and obviously went on a, you know, nearly a once in a lifetime type of a rally for the amount of time that it took. Rally December corn, a buck 50, topped her out one month ago today when we're recording on June 21st and very, very quickly took all those gains right back off the table. So you fast forward a little bit and market seems to get uh, dissatisfied perhaps with lack of volatility. And we obviously just came off of another tremendous tear. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure we could go back and find it in some crop year and some commodity, but with that dollar 30 move up and, uh, or excuse me, a buck 50 move up and a buck 50 move down, we rallied 80 cents in a three and a half day period at the beginning of this week. That's over a 50% retracement. I don't know of a percentage move in that fashion that we've ever seen. Uh, maybe that's a sign of what's to come that we're going to continue to have extreme price movements in the world that we live in. Uh, I don't really want to express a tinfoil hat opinion, but there is a lot of belief that you have less physical human players in the market and more computer algorithm tradings that move the market much, much faster. It is what it is. Uh, the, the more the volatility, the more opportunity it creates. So <clears throat> I want to focus on one thing here. Back on June 21st, it wasn't a demand rally. We know that. We knew that going into that. It was an old-fashioned weather scare. Yep. And historically speaking, a lot of your listeners would probably remember this as well, especially if they've got uh, some seasoned years behind them. We've only had two weather markets that really stuck around and actually meant something long-term. 1988, 2012. Yeah, you can throw in 1993 and flooding and a few other variations here or there, uh, but nothing that ever stuck and provided an extended period of long-term prices, uh, of long-term higher prices. It was obvious going into it, it was a weather market. It was obvious coming out of it, it was a weather market. We were probably too low. We probably went too high. We probably went too low on the sell-off. And we might have just went too high again. All that stuff is not going to go away. Mm. We're going to have extreme volatile movements like that. And the amount of time, and I, I apologize for making this sound like a little bit of a, a soapbox message here. It wasn't about being right or wrong on the market. 
It was a fact that we spent way too much damn time trying to figure out what was happening in the market mm-hmm. versus identifying what's happening on my farm. What's happening on my farm if I'm raising a good crop in these type of price moves? What's happening on my farm even if I'm not going to raise a good crop with these price moves? How does it interact with my crop insurance? Where was I at relative to my crop insurance before the market took off? What's my risk? What's my position at that day? So again, apologize, a little bit of a soapbox message, but we got to learn something from the last 45 days. Um, We haven't had a weather market like that for a while. We just came out of the inflation rally. Ukraine-Russia situations, yeah, Ukraine-Russia back in the headlines this week, that certainly didn't pan out to provide much. Um, Created a day of volatility and took it all back away the next couple of days. So what do we learn from all this? We learn that in the most volatile times, emotions reach their highest levels. And if you catch yourself being emotional, just knock it off. Take a step back from things for a second. Don't look at the markets for a second. Take a price that you know the market's at and think about the financial ramifications that that means to your farm, high or low. And those who did that in the last month, I think, are in a much, much better financial position going through the end of this year than others. That's not to say that this situation is over and not to say that we can't get back to those prices. But now we're sitting there wondering, well, now what? Now what do we do? So maybe it is a little bit of a a shot out in the dark, Shay, that, you know, you have a lot of bright individuals on your show here and a lot of great um, just fundamental advice to consider. And a lot of that is hopefully tied around profitability and seek the help if you need the help to remove the emotions, seek the help to take out the emotions and look at the real hard numbers There was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of money to be made. And for a lot of accounts, well over a million dollars and millions of dollars, actually. And you consider closing the books on 22, looking at 2023 crop and looking at 2024 crop, because was that rally not the most perfect time thing ever when we got to start booking fertilizer for next year? Oh, yeah. It was amazing. It was amazing. I've, I've been on uh, with with Chris numerous times and talked about, you know, 2023, we're going to be okay. I'm really concerned about 2024. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm not. Mm-hmm. We had crazy opportunities come around to get cheaper inputs than what we've been buying the last couple of years and get some marketing strategies taken, uh, you know, get, get them done, get them put in place. Uh, you packed in basically maybe 18 months worth of work in a four or five day period. Mm-hmm. That's rare. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, market gave another crack at it here in the last, uh, you know, seven days. Not to say that it's not going to come around again, but I don't like to hear that question of, you know, I haven't done anything now. What do I do? Right. Markets are below my break even. Um, I, I, I hate that question. I, I think that the focus needs to be, what do I need to do? Not what do I do? What do I need to do? So I'll I'll stop. I'm on a little bit of a rampage there, Shay. Well, I'll no, tell you I, that uh, my no. contacts in the industry, uh, the farmer is running the risk of being their biggest own nemesis. We are, I, I, I say it this way, you can put whatever adjective you want, whether it's explicitive or not, towards what the overall percent sold is for the U.S. farmer. It's been well advertised. Input costs are dramatically higher. It's been well advertised. We came out of a very high price environment. 
it has not been well advertised of what the market was going to do in the future, but we knew two of the biggest things, price on inputs and grain had opportunities to be very profitable. And the farmer generally, the U.S. farmer, Shea, is probably around 20% sold, typically should be about 40%. So think about that for a second, 15 billion bushel of corn, give or take, and 20% not sold. That's 3 billion bushel of corn, undersold. And the market has moved a dollar up and a dollar down. And now that's the situation we're looking at. Why do you so, think it is? Why why are why are farmers so hesitant for those that are still closing out 22 that are, you said, alarmingly offline? You said alarmingly undersold on 2023. And a lot of those guys probably, or producers probably haven't even looked at 2024 or have done very little there. But But why? I can't, I can't wrap my mind around that. Let me shift that just a little bit different, Shay. Let's talk about the guys that do, did do something. Pat yourself on the back, pat yourself on the back and pat your, your, your colleagues in the industry on the back for focusing on what's important. Um, emotion, emotion is what gets in the way and thinking about what the weather is doing. Uh, you know, you, you look at Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week, and we're well off the highs that we saw Monday, Tuesday, not to say that we can't go back there, but the weather that we have coming as of today, this warmer, drier stretch is forecasted to change August 1st or maybe a touch before that. Well, guess what? We're already trading that information. Yeah, We've put the value in for the unknown of this warmer, drier stretch. Everybody can have their personal opinion on what that means to crop size. Uh, my personal opinion uh, we're going to be okay on the, the bean balance sheet has a lot of things to work through. Um, but the corn balance sheet at the end of the day, how do you define it? It's going to be enough. Mm-hmm. What is enough? It's enough. It's, it's probably enough that strictly fundamentally speaking, it's going to be tough to overcome and sustain uh, a big rally and sustain those prices. And so it's not just the U.S. farmer, Shea, that's undersold on the corn market. The Brazilian farmer has got a nice little bailout here in the last week, but they're woefully undersold as well. I think they're about a third of what they're normally sold at this time of year. Uh, and they obviously have a record crop. And the, the only reason I bring that up and why the farmer can possibly be their own nemesis is that every trade, every short position, every hedge, every sale has to come to the same exchange, the Board of Trade. And I think we spoke about this this last winter uh, at the AgView Pitch uh, Conference, that you have to have a willing buyer and seller come together. And the amount of buyers willing just to step in and say, oh, hey, the farmer wants to sell me 3 billion bushel of corn this month. Am I going to step in and own it all right here at this price? No. Some will own it at this price. Some want to own it a little bit lower. Some want to own it a little bit lower. And that's the makeup of price discovery in the market to find the price that the willing buyer is uh, is going to step in and offset the farmer's sale. So we just started off on fire there, Shay. I apologize. That, that's uh, all right. There's going to be some guys that probably roll the eyes at the message, but I'm going to take the positive uh, uh, outcome there. And if you've been proactive... And you know some of the reasons why you're proactive. Um, you know, pat yourself on the back. Job well done in a highly uncertain, volatile market in a very, very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's. Uh, I, I want to 
take a quick tangent on that because you mentioned something that I think is really important about the uh, amount of opportunity that there was to uh, lock in profitability and with some of the fertility pricing that we've seen. I just locked in, just came from a meeting on getting our anhydrous locked in here for 2024. Don't have all the dry prices yet, but we're starting to get a lot of dry prices in that look much more attractive than what they were last year. I think one of the important messages when we look at it from a from a market outlook or volatility that we have ahead that you can take opportunity of is consistently the last three years we've had to make decisions earlier and earlier and earlier to capitalize on it. And I think there's some people that just have not adapted to the fact that you might be doing your prepay significantly earlier. You might have to be watching things that historically you haven't uh, way earlier in the season. But the people that have and the clients that we work with that have taken advantage of it have just had worlds of opportunity open up for them. So do you, I guess, do you have any comments on that? Or it's just a trend that I seem to be seeing here the last uh, last couple months and last couple of years. Yeah. And you know what we should probably do, to be fair, Shay, is identify or explain or um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, you know, define opportunity. Uh, everybody has different profit goals. Everybody needs different prices, but the idea of trying to extract as much as I possibly can get is a dangerous proposition. Mm-hmm. And given the speed of what the market was moving at, uh, you needed to know where those numbers were at well ahead of time. So we talk a lot about what's a fair return on a normal yield is a fair return generating 10 to 20% on my cash expense. So, if I'm spending 1100 bucks an acre to grow a corn crop, I need to grow 1200 bucks. I'm making close to 10%. And now I'm starting to think about what price do I need relative to that $1,200 revenue goal mm-hmm. on an average yield. If I'm raising 220 bushel corn, uh, just as an example, if I need to grow 1200 bucks, well, that's a pretty easy number, right? I don't need $6 corn, but I need something close to it. Mm-hmm. And market definitely gave that opportunity. And it was almost a second opportunity from what we uh, had going on this last winter. A lot of six to 630 type of pricing opportunities and a very fast and furious move above six bucks. And, you know, as we're sitting here talking, I just got to look for my own interest. How many days December 23 corn spent above six bucks on this last move? And it was one, two, three, and part of a day. So basically probably two and a half total trading days, a very, very limited window of time. And how many days would we spend above above six, uh, 20, one day, one day, one day. So you had one day to take all that action, remove all the emotion and make sure that your business plan is in place. Um, So defining what those opportunities are um, is a tough one, but when you look back at the last two years and the money that was made, I think it's maybe a little bit of a rich opinion to have to say, I need to repeat the profitability from the last two years. A lot of that was from price, some yield, but mostly price. Historically, bigger profits come from bigger yields, not from price. And so thinking on the lines of a normal yield and what's going to keep me in the game and certainly keep me away from losing money um, most U.S. farmers can be engaged from probably five, 
75 December corn and higher. And that's, that's a general statement that I think has a lot of meat on the bone that 575 to say six and a quarter corn uh, in an average crop would make money for almost everything. That hits a huge amount of producers that we work with, um, not only above and beyond break even, but whatever their margin target is. So that 10 to 20%, yeah. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yep. Uh, looking at now, now we're just going to do a simple case study here too, just okay. because we're on a comment. Yeah. 1100 bucks. If I want to gross a 20% return, I needed 1320. And I think you probably agree a lot of $1,100 an acre costs out there. Or more. Uh, and it's all relative. It all kind of comes back to that same number. Well, at $1,320 cost and a two, 205 yield, I need 643 corn. Okay, I didn't get there, but there's probably not a lot of $1,100 costs in a 205 yield either. All right. So it's kind of just identifying that it was not that far away from saying to make a 20% return a little bit above a 205 yield. All of a sudden, the market was there. Mm. And that's big money. 20% return is not that far-fetched or far off from what we saw the last couple of years. A lot of 40, 50% returns, but I just don't think that that's the ball game that we're in. Yeah. So looking ahead, I think you and I both agree. Um, you, you said it well, volatility probably isn't dead, meaning there is potential and opportunities moving forward uh, that maybe we'll continue to see market volatility. Now, whether we go back up and touch some of the areas that we've been over the last 30, 45 days, who knows? Um, but how do, how do you think about this moving forward? I, I had a conversation here uh, with Joe Vakovic the other day, and we were talking a little bit about putting in targets and, and even putting in stop orders as well. Uh, how, how do you talk to the farmer that, like you said, needs to take a step back from the emotion and think about strategies or think very seriously about what the 23 crop looks like and, and also maybe opportunities as they move into 24. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, it obviously starts with knowing your costs. Everybody hates that, but defining how much money do you want to make and how much money do you need to make? And if you can identify those two targets, that means you're going to have to know what your cost is. If you know you want to make a hundred thousand bucks or a hundred dollars an acre or whatever that is, if you know what your revenue needs to be to, if you know what your revenue needs to be, you know what your costs are. If you know what money you want to make, but you don't know how much revenue that is associated with or what you need to generate, you don't know what your costs are. So that's just the very first step. And, you know, we had an individual come in the office here just this last week with, this is what my banker gave me as a budget. I said, that's, that's every bit of $300 an acre off the average around here. If you're operating under the idea that you're spending 800 bucks an acre on your corn, you're cheating yourself. You're just flat out cheating yourself. I know your machinery. I know your bin site. I know all these different variables that you're spending more than that. Right. And I'll eat crow if I'm wrong. Well, put them through the ringer, find out what his costs are. And it was about 1150 $350 difference. So there's another risk in there that you might think, you know, but make sure you know and update that as year goes on. And there's the, the, the risk of complacency driven by the idea I have a big, big safety net already because the market would have to drop a lot for me to be in an upside down position. And again, I think I'm a little biased on who your listeners are, Shay. Mm -hmm. um, I think you have a great following. 
and there is probably a higher inclination to admit that our margins in 2023, possibly 2024, they just don't reflect what they once were. Mm -hmm. So the producer that doesn't know just has to figure it out. And I do a lot of work with merchandisers and originators throughout the U.S. with various co-ops on education on a lot of this stuff of, you know, what's the questions to flat out ask the producer to try to deter marketing plan. And in these volatile markets, you know, who gets the attention and who doesn't get the attention from a farmer perspective? The ones who take the time to engage in a good conversation. And then all of a sudden the markets make their move and come back. And there's a lot of finger pointing that happens afterwards. Right. Well, why, why, why didn't you call me? Why did we do this? We tried, yeah. tried to have that conversation. So I, I'd say there's an emotional piece of your question of what do you say? What do you ask? You know, what do you try to determine to do from here forward? It, a lot of that is just being open to looking at the big picture. And, and by the way, to your point, if you're listening to this right now and you're in a tough spot and you're worried about where things are, pause this, pick up a phone and call your advisors, call the people that are on your team and say, Hey, I, man, I'm, I'm in a bad way here. I need help. You know, it's not too late is ultimately what we're getting at in some scenarios. It might be, you're not going to break even. It might be too late from that standpoint, from your profitability, but a 20%, a fit 10, 15, 20% loss looks a heck of a lot different on the balance sheet than a break even. And I said this the other day too, and I'll repeat it here is, you know, when you look at the most expensive crop that's ever been put in for most operations in 2023, uh, looking at a break even, even though it's different than the margins you've expected and come to enjoy the last couple of years, in the grand scheme of things, is not as big of a deal as looking at a 10 or 20% loss in a year like this. So, you know, if you're, if you're in that position, pick up the phone and call. So Shay, what would you say? What first year would you want to call it 2020 or maybe 2021 that the money really started rolling in for the average farmer? I think 2020 is probably a little bit unfair. Um, We were trying to come out of COVID. There was maybe a lot of decisions made earlier that kind of capped what the profitability was going to be made in 20, Mm -hmm. but still made money. So let's just think about 2021 and forward made great money in 21, made great money in 22. And all of a sudden, 23, we have a possibility of making some pretty decent money. And looky there, now we're talking about making some pretty good money in 2024. And I'm not talking about just, oh, I made money every single year. I'm talking about life-changing money. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about banging out a four or five-year average of clipping off 10 to 15% returns. Some of our more aggressive producers, that have a unique mindset of if I can make a hundred bucks an acre, roll with it. I know my costs well enough. I know what I can control and I'm willing to use an average build. Yep. Mother nature can derail those plans. However, what I'm getting at here is the last three, four days, it's been tedious, but we've been limping away selling even 2025 corn. Just saying, if I can be four seventy-five to five dollar board price and anything higher, you get me to five and a quarter. Now I'm starting to talk about making maybe fifteen percent of money, and already just starting to think about that business mindset of how many years of prosperity can I lock in before there is a situation that I just flat out can't. 
Yeah. You know, I just can't make money. It's not at the fault of the producer at that point necessarily. Historically, the market always give that opportunity. And that's the takeaway that what are we trying to learn from what happened in the last 45 days? It's like a wake up call saying, guys, look, just just focus on the big picture. You're, you're looking at an opportunity to prolong great farm profitability for the next two years. And I joke about it often. I probably said it on here once, maybe twice. So third time is going to get old. I'm a big Chiefs fan. And if it wasn't for Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs would lose every game in the fourth quarter because our defense is awful. Because we have to play prevent defense because Mahomes has the lead. Yep. So what are we trying to do as the operator? We're trying to be that all-star athlete to maintain money, keep everything in front of us, and not let it get away. Not give up the W. Not give up win. Uh, and we have to be prepared. I mean, it's it's crazy how much grain marketing decisions have in common with a game plan in sports. Lots of time and energy is spent into identifying what you have to do to win. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not just go out there and go about the motions and hope you win. And I, I would draw some other analogies of taking advantage of key moments and key plays and having the right people on your team. You know, I think yes. that's all pretty, pretty darn good correlations between the people that we see that have locked in that life-changing profitability in some cases. And, and I'm, I'm going to jump here to 2024 because I, I've taken some pretty good strides in 2024 personally. And I know uh, some of the operations that we work with have as well. I think right now I'm probably a little bit more excited about 2024 corn outlook uh, than soybeans. Any thoughts there as people kind of head into this next week of what they ought to be paying attention to? Yeah, so there's a really interesting conversation and uh, possibilities of outcomes between corn and soybeans for 2024. But before I jump on that, uh, I'm curious, are you finding that Generally speaking, a 540-ish corn price is more profitable than a $6 corn price this year? Yes. Yes. Pretty um, close. Yeah. And a lot of that is obviously nitrogen coming down. It is. Um, uh, and that nitrogen, depends on what the you're nitrogen that I just booked was exactly half of what it was last year. Yep. So that's a big cost savings. I get it that there's... Um, Farm by farm application practices of when you're actually booking your fertilizer. If you were able to wait until this spring to book it, yeah, you obviously got a cheaper price. So your cost might not look that much different going into next year. But there's other things. I, I, I get the sense of looking across to everybody we work with that uh, land prices are not softer, but certainly not firmer. Uh, that up a little bit. Chemicals has obviously just plummeted. I think somebody told me today that the price they can buy for around up right now is the cheapest it's been for i can't remember what he told me 2016 2017 wow. uh he's actually going to go buy um 175 of what he needs for 2024 and just stuff the rest of the way in the shed for 2025 take that yep. input cost off the table um so there's other things that are just walking down and that goes back to my point that a 60 cent lower price year on year from six down to 540 uh it means that $5 plus December 23, 4, 24 corn cash average is going to make people some money. Mm-hmm. How much is it? Depends operation by operation. But I do think that that can be closer to, um, you know, closer to 10% than 5%. So 
I, I just just wanted to get that out there. So let's talk about that relationship of 24 corn and 24 beans. Uh, you probably have had somebody talk about it on a show here recently, you know, Brazilian corn crop, a monster. The uh, issue with the Brazilian monster corn crop is it's going to take some focus away from the bean export program for Brazil. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. And it's going to open the door for a critical time period for the U.S. farmer to export some beans. And that very well could be like a September, October, November, maybe into December. But Brazil ports are going to be overwhelmed with corn and the focus is going to have to shift to corn away from beans. So we've seen in years past, in years where we just need to de-incentivize corn production worldwide and we need to incentivize soybean production worldwide. It could even be short term. But, you know, somebody might want to say, well, why are we trying to de-incentivize corn production worldwide? We, we're going to be fine. We have a record crop in Brazil. Uh, we're going to have a good enough crop in the U.S., in my opinion, that we need to drop corn production. We need to drop corn production. We need to have cheaper prices to rebound demand. And price is the way you drop your production first and foremost. And that's, again, the relationship of finding more demand. So we have seen years in the past, occasionally, that a ratio on corn beans can really ramp up uh, at odd times of the year. I would not be all that surprised to look at May of 2024 corn and soybean futures, see a ratio of close to 3.1. Hmm. So what does that mean? If May corn happens to be a $5 commodity, that could be $15 beans. If May corn is a $4.75 commodity, well, at that point, you're talking what? Uh, $14.25, $4.75 times three, yeah, $14 a quarter. And here we are today looking at May 24 beans around, you know, traded high at $13.99. So really not that far-fetched to talk about somewhere around five corn and somewhere around $14.50 beans. Who's the first farmer worldwide that gets to react to that spread? It's the Brazilian farmer. Mm-hmm. We had a group of Brazilian farmers here in the office at the beginning of the week, and that conversation came up. Albeit they have rotation practices they have to stick to as well, but they can move the needle ever so slightly to reward the market. For We raised over 150 million ton crop in Brazil this last year. Who's to say that we don't raise 170 next year? Mm-hmm. The market's asking for it. Right. They can react first. And they're looking at new crop corn and soybean futures in the same fashion as the U.S. farmers, just a different month. And they're making those planting decisions in the next 60 days. So if they step in and uh, run the risk of overwhelming the bean market, well, that can be tough for next year. So what does the guy do about that? I think that in the next 90 days, it might end up being not only our best marketing opportunity for this year's soybeans, uh, but also for a significant portion of next year. Because in that time frame, you're incentivizing worldwide production to increase, and we're the second one to get to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to plant after the Brazilian farmer. And if we run that risk of incentivizing all these additional bean acres, our export program is just going to continue to get smoked. Brazil has nothing else to do with those beans but export them. And they'll continue to cut us. And it's going to take time for us to get all these additional soybean plants uh, up and running in the U.S. That's a 2025 type of end result. So I put that in somebody's mind to say that, you know, if you start penciling in 
13 and a half to maybe even $14 beans because I talk about that three to one ratio on the May contract. The same time that that ratio has gone really low, we've seen our new crop corn to soybean ratio get close to 2.7. So if we have 2.7 ratio and say five and a quarter, these 24 corn, well, we're talking 14, 20 beans, a buck 20 higher than where we are today. I despise beans, but guess what? You give me an opportunity to do that prior to planting and corn is a five and a quarter commodity. All of a sudden the financial incentive has really gotten the door shoved in its face to plant as much corn. Mm -hmm. So that's something to consider for everybody. Just as you think about those acres and your fertilizer decisions for next year, it's been a popular conversation of buying fertilizer and, We've just kind of taken the approach of let's buy 80 to 90% of what we're going to need and risk that other 10 to 20%. Price could change, uh, but knowing that we might move 10, 20% of our acres away from corn uh, to beans, if, you know, the opinion, it's an opinion, right? It's not a prediction. It's an opinion that they right. happen. Uh, and if that is the case, then we will plant some more beans next year. But Sorry. I'm not going to let that situation tell us that we need to plant more beans and not do something about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, the opportunities there, where's a, you know, so I think, I think you brought up an interesting point and you kind of interjected it right as the thought was coming into my, into my mind, of course, the domestic demand on soy crush facilities, looking at 2025 earliest that a lot of them start coming online in the meantime here, the, the 18 to 24 month gap in between, you know, if the world says, hey, let's plant more soybeans, what what else is going on on the demand side or lack of what's going on on the demand side that maybe the U.S. farmer, the listener to this podcast should be thinking about or or maybe be aware of that we're kind of sleeping on? Uh, that's a tough one because China can be a, a monster looking up any day. Yeah. Uh, but it's a hard one to sit there and say that they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. Every day that they don't come is another day of demand lost. The only way without China in the picture to get our demand better is unfortunately you get cheaper first. Yep. You think about ethanol plants today and the uh, their job between right now, July 21st and say September 15th, is to get to the doorstep of harvest without buying too much at too high of a price. If they could buy old crop corn at new crop value today, yeah, they'd buy a chunk of it. They would. And slowly their bids are getting closer and closer and closer to that. But that does mean that we have more downside on old crop values before we actually get to that number. So where does the demand actually start to uptick? It's on an increase in supply and a reduction in price and incentivizing the user to lock up margin, just like what we talk about. When a farmer margin is very, very poor, we tend to tighten the belt, spend less, hopefully, try to save more. And that's the exact same thing with an end user. They're no different. They're spending money to try to make money. And they're going to try to lose as little money as possible when times are tough. That's on the corn side. Uh, I'm still, you know, we had cattle on feed this afternoon, and that's not necessarily a uh, a great outlook there either. That our feed demand long term is still suspect, uh, just because of the the herd being 
cold. And it doesn't really have a lot to do with the corn price. It has more so to do with the corn price went higher because we had a drought last year. Mm -hmm. Right. And they didn't have hay. They didn't have grass. And the cattle herd has been diminished. And that obviously catches up to us on feed long term. So it's not necessarily a great picture on feed long term. Um, The ethanol side can get right back up there to big numbers if corn is cheaper and they can make good money. Yep. And then the export side, that's a tough one. That's yeah. going to be tough to suggest that we're going to increase our demand on exports by any meaningful amount. I mean, don't sleep on it that we might only export, you know, call it 1.7, 1.8 billion bushel this year. Two years ago, we exported 2.4, 600 million bushel swing, 600 million bushel swing, 90 million acres. That's uh, what, seven bushel an acre mm-hmm. in itself. So that's a tough pill to swallow that we've got a, a tough hill to climb to regain export uh, control. And a lot of that's going to, um, it's just going to take time. going to take time. On the soybean side, the demand ledger is nowhere near as bad. Okay? That soybeans are certainly the darling of the ag market. Wheat is the worst. Wheat is just, you can call it every explicit you want. It's just <laughs> terrible. Um, I mean, it's the craziest thing. I feel bad for listeners that might be in HRW country raising a poor crop and having high protein. And historically, you say high protein, well, that's a good thing. Not this year. Everything's high protein because it was all stressed. And if, if I'm a merchandiser, farmer doesn't certainly like to hear this, but I'd be discounting based upon the protein because there's too much of it. Right. So, okay, soybeans. It is darling of the ag industry right now. And there is certainly a possibility that any type of a yield hiccup, which will be determined in the next 45 days or so, uh, has the ability to add some significant premium to the bean market. Hopeful at that point that does happen. Um, It's obviously providing some better pricing opportunities to offset yield reductions. And at the same time, it's maybe dragging corn along with it to a certain extent. So don't sleep on the bean market. We need to increase world supply of beans. That's different. We need to increase world supply on corn. And it's because it's kind of a demand market coupled with a tight supply situation. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to sit here and say that our bean crop last year in the U.S. wasn't necessarily an absolute disaster, but it wasn't stellar. Uh, But then you follow it up with a monster Brazilian crop and plenty to offset the situation in Argentina. But it's that that um, all those fun and games come to a finish whenever we um, whenever we bring enough Brazilian production back online. Mm-hmm. Any uh, any final thoughts here? Anything we haven't hit on? Anything else you're watching? Interested commodities or not? No, uh, I'm going to just steer away from trying to talk about what markets do or don't do. I mean, you can be rewind a calendar two days ago and the corn market from 7 a.m. to 7.45 or 6 a.m. to 7.45 central time was trading basically five cent ranges every minute. Mm -hmm. Not healthy. And that's also a warning sign that there is a tremendous amount of lack of conviction and it can go hard very quickly, one direction. And my opinion, <laughs> it's not going to be liked. So I'm not even going to say it. And I think people can uh, can uh, yeah. catch the drift there. What I would focus on is something that you mentioned is 
if you feel ever so slightly confused about what to do or where you sit, there is no shame in just getting another set of eyes on it. Yep. Third don't, set don't of eyes, second to call set out. of eyes, whatever. Right. It just it's it's a business, but other businesses, successful businesses hire outside contract individuals to get third party opinions. And that's not a pitch for me. It's not a pitch for you. No pun intended. This is the AgView pitch. Man, I like that. We got to um, redesign the whole podcast around that idea. <laughs> it is uh it is a deal that um just just know where you sit, know what you need to do to make good money this year and next year. And if you don't, I hope you're, and if you're not willing to do that, then at the same breath, I hope you're willing to admit that you're gambling. Yeah. Because that's all it is. You know, so when you talk uh, about the, when you talk about the advisors and talk about getting the right people on your team, <clears throat> sometimes you just need to get out of your own damn head too. And if you're, whether it's the the people that you listen to or that reinforcement, you know, Chris and I just did a podcast on the 19 minutes talking about some of the biases that you have when it comes to grain marketing. If you just need to get out of your own head, call someone, pick up the phone, get a different mm -hmm. set of eyes on it. Again, it's not, you don't have to call Chris or Shay or Jared or anybody else that we've had on the podcast, but call someone that you trust and that's an advisor and that can help you with your situation. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, one piece of that and I'll shut up. Um, when I look across um, a lot of what I consider very, very successful long-term operations, they are goal-oriented and they count on a good team around them to achieve that goal. And if somebody doesn't pull their weight, they're not part of the team. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is um, I know I would get fired from the producers that we work with if I didn't provide a push to say, it's time to go look at your profits, take everything else off the table. It's time to go. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's a, that's a sign of successful operators. They want to make the money. Doesn't matter when, doesn't matter how make the money before and yeah. do not risk losing money. And, and <laughs> I lied. One last comment. Uh, if you lose money in 2023, 2024 is going to suck. Yeah. It's going to be bad. It's going to take a rebound to, to offset that. Uh, but it really would not surprise me to be talking about how do we make money in 450 corn in 2024. Mm -hmm. And that's a tough build swallow. Lots so, to think about here in the week ahead, Jared, I, I, I really appreciate, um, the, the honesty and the transparency. And more importantly, sometimes you, uh, you don't need the fluff around stuff. You need the tough conversations. And I think there's a lot of people that need to face that right now. Uh, if you guys have any questions, Jared, what's the best way for, uh, you know, anybody listening to reach out to you if they did want to give you a call? Uh, yeah, just text or call 402-680-1744. Okay, perfect. Jared, any plans this weekend? What are you up to? Oh, just Hudson days. Yeah. Got the old Hudson days. <laughs> Got all kinds of fun uh, commitments to take care of this weekend. So it's important. It's good. Yep. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Jared. Um, appreciate you guys listening to the Ag View pitch. I hope it brings you value and perspective. And with that, we will catch you next time.